Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Hear now the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey, a young donkey, and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your donkey is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Your king is coming, rather, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard that he had given these miraculous signs, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired John to write down this account of your triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and that you would enable us to understand the word that you have for us this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue in our study of the events that took place in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, during his final days of his earthly ministry here on earth. And in looking at the events that happened at Palm Sunday, we'll be considering some of the things that are written for us in the Gospel of John, and also some of the things that are written in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that contain information about Palm Sunday that John, led by the Holy Spirit, did not decide to include in his gospel account. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the long-awaited Messiah. People had been waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah to finally show up. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and people began to recognize that this is in fulfillment of the plans that God had made for the people of Israel. And so they welcomed Jesus holding palm branches and waving them, yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they put cloaks on the ground for Jesus to ride over as he was coming in on a young donkey. But a few days later, the same hands that held palm branches and yelled, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were now clenched fists. And they were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? In a few short days, the people realized that Jesus was not the Messiah that they had expected. And they had not yet realized that Jesus was the Messiah that they desperately needed. Now it all starts back in the village of Bethany, just a mile or so away from Jerusalem. 
Bethany was where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Just before Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he had a dinner at the home of Simon the leper. And Lazarus was there along with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. And it was a dinner to honor Jesus. It was also a time for people to maybe ask questions about what had happened. They got an opportunity to talk about somebody, to talk with somebody who had died and then who had been raised from the dead. And then during that time, we remember from last week, Mary took um, an alabaster vase of perfume that was made from the spikenard plant and she broke it and poured it on Jesus' feet and then she wiped his feet with her hair. And this was an extreme, loving, extravagant gesture of humility and worship that Mary had done for Jesus. And Jesus pointed out that what she was doing was anointing him for his burial, helping him to prepare for his death. And from that moment on, the narrative shifts, focus, and it starts pointing towards the cross. Now, at that time, Jews were heading up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. There were several times during the year when Jews were required to leave their homes wherever they were, even outside of Israel, and travel to Jerusalem for certain festivals, certain feasts. And one of them was the feast of the Passover. So Jews were traveling up to Jerusalem in accordance with the law, to celebrate the Passover. And as they did, they went through the village of Bethany, which was on the way to Jerusalem, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And they had been hearing about what Jesus had done just a few weeks earlier with Lazarus. He'd raised him from the dead. There was a lot of excitement that was being generated. And as they were going up the hill to Jerusalem, where the city was situated and where the temple was situated, they began to sing psalms that pilgrims would sing on pilgrimages up to Jerusalem, especially during these three times a year when they were required to go. And the words to one of the songs, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, was from Psalm 118. Psalms are the worship language of the people of God, which is why we continue to use them in worship with responsive readings and in singing. So the people are coming up to Jerusalem, waving palm branches, hailing Jesus as a conquering hero. It's kind of welcome that would be given to a general or to a king who was coming back home as a victor over an enemy that had threatened to destroy the kingdom. And as Jesus was coming in, He wasn't coming in as they would expect a conquering hero to come on a charging white stallion with armies surrounding him and trumpets blaring and a parade of slaves and booty that had been taken from the folks who had been conquered. No, Jesus came in as a businessman would come to Jerusalem. He came in humility. He was riding on a donkey. But this was in fulfillment of a prophecy that God had given centuries earlier through the prophet Zechariah. See, your king is coming gently, humbly, riding on the colt of a donkey. And as Jesus came through the gates of Jerusalem into the city, people started shouting, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna 
literally means in Hebrew, Yahweh, save us now. So there was an expectation that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to do something special, something that they had waited for. He was coming to save them. After Jesus entered Jerusalem, he went to the temple area. And he goes into the temple, and there were some children waiting for him there. And the children started proclaiming, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, the son of David is a messianic title. And these children understood who Jesus was. And some of the leaders in the temple area began to question what the kids were doing. Why are you allowing these kids to call you the son of David? What's going on here? And then Jesus tells them that this is in fulfillment of Psalm 8, verse 2, which says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Which is one of the reasons why I don't mind if there are crying babies in the worship service. Because in my mind, these crying babies are praising God in the only way they know. So if you're in a worship service and babies start mumbling and crying and the kids start mumbling and you're thinking they're misbehaving, they're not. They're worshiping God. So when Jesus gets to the, into this temple area, one of the things he notices is that the outer area of the temple, which is called the court of the Gentiles, was being used in a money-making scheme that was being run by the leaders of the temple. Now, think of the temple as a dartboard, so to speak. You've got the center, which is the Holy of Holies. And then you've got only the high priest was allowed to go in there at certain times of the year. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And that's where the Holy Spirit dwelt in the temple. And then outside, you have an area for the other priests to come. Outside, you have another, outside of that, you have another area where the altar was where sacrifices were, were being made and people could come into that area with their sacrifices. Well, the men could go into that area with, their, with the sacrifices. And then outside of that area was the courts of the women where the women would be able to come and pray. And then outside of that, you had the court of the Gentiles where the non-Jews who were seeking God, who were being led by the Holy Spirit to come into God's presence would be allowed to come and worship. And if they decided that it was time for them to become a part of the Jewish community, God's family, then they were allowed to convert and then enter farther into the temple. But for now, they were in the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was where the money-making scheme was happening. So what was going on was, When people came to Jerusalem from all over the world, they had to bring a sacrifice at Passover. They would have to bring a lamb. And if they were traveling long distances, they didn't want to be dragging this lamb, you know, for 100 miles or so. So they would go without a lamb, but they would buy a lamb at the temple that they could use in the sacrificial system. But they couldn't use their own money to buy the lamb. They had to use temple money. And so they had to exchange their money for temple shekels that would be used to buy the lamb. And it was during this exchange rate that they were being taken advantage of. So they were being taken advantage of when they exchanged their money to buy the lambs, and the lambs were being sold at exorbitant prices, and the profits were being kept by the leaders who ran the temple, who were more interested 
and making money than they were in the worship life of the people of God. And the people who were involved in this kind of practice were the Sadducees. It was one of the, the sects of, Ju- of um, Judaism, like the Pharisees and the Essenes. So Jesus sees what's going on. He sees the corruption that's going on, but he also sees that Gentiles are unable to worship God because of all the commotion that's happening in the court of the, tent, uh, the Gentiles. And so he cleanses the temple He's by eliminating this um, corruption, but by taking these people out of the spot that God had set up for the Gentiles to worship. And that's why he says, you have made my father's house, which is a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. The Gentiles couldn't pray there. And Jesus was upset about that. So he was opening up this area for the Gentiles to be able to worship God. Well, as you can imagine, the people who were part of this money-making opportunity weren't too crazy about what Jesus was doing. Neither were the other religious leaders who were upset that people were starting to follow Jesus. I mean, they, they heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but while Jesus was in the temple courts there, he was also healing the blind and healing those who were lame, you know, people who fall downstairs and break their ankles, right? A few days later, those people are ready to crucify Jesus. And that's why they're shaking their fists, saying, crucify him, crucify him. So what happened? Jesus was not living up to the Messiah job description that they had written. They had expected certain things from the Messiah, and Jesus was not about it. He had let them down. He had disappointed them. Now, if we're honest, we all know that there are times in our own personal lives where we have been disappointed in Jesus as well. There have been times where we said, Lord, please do this, or please help us with that. And Jesus didn't say yes to those prayer requests. We had certain hopes for how life would turn out. Maybe we had certain career expectations. Maybe we had hopes of having children and grandchildren, getting married. Maybe we had hopes of living in a certain community with a certain lifestyle. And those hopes were not realized, even though we prayed and we trusted God. And we asked for help. There are times when all of us have felt disappointed with Jesus. And there are times when we've lived in anger and bitterness towards the Lord. There are times when we've even doubted whether or not Jesus exists. Or maybe we can say, yeah, he exists, but he's not the son of God who can do miracles All of us have gone down that dark road because we've been disappointed with Jesus at one time in our lives or another. Back then, people were willing to settle for less when it came to a Messiah. People were willing to settle for a national political kingdom of Israel. But God gave them more 
God gave them the kingdom of heaven. Back then, people were willing to settle for salvation from the Romans. But God gave them more salvation from sin and death. Back then, people were willing to settle for a temple with ongoing sacrifices of lambs year in and year out. But God gave them more. He gave them his son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And he turned our bodies into the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in order to give more, God had to say no when people were willing to settle for less. And God continues to do that today. God always answers our prayers. He doesn't always say yes, though. Sometimes when God says no, it's for our own good. It's because we're willing to settle for less than what he has in store for us. A no is a legitimate prayer answer from God. And if the answer comes from God, it's the best answer, even though it may not seem like the best answer for us. Sometimes God says, wait, because we're not ready for a yes or a no. And it's in the waiting that we experience God's presence in our lives. It's in the waiting that our longing to be loved and accepted and encouraged and held by God is experienced in our lives. Waiting is also an answer that God gives to prayer. When we're going through times of suffering, Sometimes God takes away the suffering, and sometimes God holds us close in the suffering. God is always with us, no matter what. Even though our prayers are not being answered the way we had expected, it doesn't mean that God is not with us. It doesn't mean that God can't or won't give us an answer. It just means he's doing more in our lives than we had initially expected. It means that God is not willing to let us settle for less than his presence in our lives. One day, Jesus will come to Jerusalem. And he's not going to be coming on a young donkey, on the foal of a donkey. He's going to be coming on a charging white stallion. This is what the book of Revelation says in chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On that day, when he comes as a charging stallion, Jesus will destroy the Antichrist and the rulers who are oppressing God's people along with the Antichrist. They're going to be thrown into a fiery lake of burning sulfur, Revelation tells us. There will come a time when our suffering will be done away with forever. There will come a time when evil will be stopped. There will come a time when we see how God has transformed our lives into something far more than we had ever expected. God provided a Messiah who was far beyond the people's expectations 2,000 years ago and who is far beyond our expectations today. And God will not allow us to settle for anything less. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org.